0: Isn't it amazing how two people can look at the exact same situation and look at it from a completely different perspective? That's kind of what that video was about. Uh, really it really has kind of multiple purposes. One, Mother's Day is coming up just in a couple weeks. But at the same time, it's about perspective. And that's what this message is on today. As we finish out this series, Entrusted, looking at the biblical perspective of a steward. Of what the Bible tells us. And really, I found that video this week and thought it was a great video to introduce this final message because here we have the mother. And from her perspective, it was a normal, quote unquote, normal day with her child, yet challenging day. Yet from the little girl's perspective, everything was phenomenal. Everything was great. And that's kind of sets the stage for today and really this whole series. What we've been trying to do is gain a better perspective, and a better perspective is found in a biblical perspective of what stewardship is truly all about. I hope and pray that you have learned something through this series, and I'm excited as we finish out this message and this series this morning, and I believe it'll be a challenge to you, an encouragement to you as well. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and jump into it this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we're going to be. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. As we've been talking about stewardship, we've been talking about the idea that God has entrusted us to be his stewards. We are his stewards, which a steward, a simple definition of that means a manager. It is our job, it is our responsibility to manage the resources, He has entrusted us with. And as we've learned, and I hope you've learned this, that stewardship is more than money. Money is a big part of it. But stewardship is about our lives. It's about understanding the concept that God is the owner. And since God is the owner, that makes us, his children, if you're saved, his steward. And it's our job not to usurp his authority. It's not our job to say, I'm in control. And many of us struggle with that. I struggle with that greatly at times, where I try to usurp Jesus Christ's authority as the sovereign ruler of my life. I try to usurp that authority, but it was never mine to begin with. I was always called and placed here to be second, to be under Jesus Christ. And the reason why we focus so much on this series is not so much what I want from you, but rather what I want for you. It's not a a series on stewardship and the aspect of money so that we can get more money, get more offerings. I have been encouraged the past few weeks with a good amount of offerings that have come in, ones that have been faithful in your stewardship, in your finances, and continued to do what God has called you to do and, and give where God has called you to give, and giving your tithes and giving towards impact and missions, I greatly appreciate it as your pastor. And those that haven't done as good of a job, I challenge you and encourage you to do better. to To step out by faith, to be who God has called you to be. But this series isn't about getting more from you. It's not about getting more in the offerings. It's about getting the most for you to help you understand that if you live the life of a steward, the life that God has called you to live your life will be exponentially better because you're doing what God has called you to do. And again, this whole series boils down to the fact, and I think I set it up the very first week, that God is the owner. And since God is the owner, again, it makes us the steward. And one thing as a reminder that we talked about very early on a couple months ago in this series is this. What you withhold and retain In your hand reveals what's in your heart. We need to learn to release what we hold. Our Heavenly Father is waiting to use what he has placed in our hands. And let me remind you of something. A steward will work very hard, very diligently at protecting and expanding the assets of another on their behalf. Again, God has placed us here in his kingdom to promote his glory, his honor to do what we can to honor him, to glorify him, to make sure we are protecting the assets that he has entrusted us with, to also make sure that we are expanding his assets, to make sure that we are expanding his kingdom, to make sure that we are doing what God has called us to do. And I hope and pray that if you've gotten anything from this series, you've gotten that idea, that concept through your mind to understand that it's not about me, it's all about him. And I have to do the best that I can to do what God has called me to do so that when I leave this earth, when my life is done, I have lived faithfully for Jesus Christ. I have advanced not my kingdom, but I have advanced his kingdom again. Many people are good advancing their kingdoms. They're good at storing up for themselves, but God has called us to store up for him, to store up in heaven. To, again, be who he's called us to be. Let me try to simplify all of this this morning. And I'm trying to uh, go back and remind us of some things we've talked about, as well as closing this out and going forward and wrapping this all together, because it all flows together the past seven weeks now, have all flowed together. But let me try to simplify it this morning. How many of you like leftovers? Anybody like leftovers out there? Go ahead and like, comment, whatever, if, if you want, if you like leftovers. There are times when I like leftovers. Uh, My wife would say that I'm not a huge leftover fan. A lot of times I open the the refrigerator door and I stare aimlessly into the abyss of everything being full. And I'm like, there is nothing to eat. She's like, "Uh, there's like five different things on there. Uh, I have to be in the right mood, I guess, uh, to eat certain leftovers. And and when I really like a certain meal, I, I do eat those leftovers. And I think, When I don't like a meal as much, I typically don't eat leftovers. And there, I think you would agree that there are certain things that just aren't as good as leftovers. But there are some things that, you know, even as a leftover, it's still good. It's still solid. Um, (laughs) It's not really a leftover, but I had my birthday this past week. And uh, someone in that drive-by, I was going to say drive-by shooting. I did get shot with Silly String from Jones, but uh, in that drive-by parade, uh, someone gave me a birthday cake. can't remember who it was, but thank you for that. And thank you for everyone that participated in that. I had a great time with it. Um, but all week I've been enjoying the leftovers of ice cream cake. So that's probably one of my favorite leftovers. Uh, I'm going down a rabbit trail on this one, but I need to bring it back in. But the point I'm trying to make is uh, some people like leftovers, some people don't. But here's the point I'm trying to make. Imagine you go to a restaurant. Now, pre-COVID-19, of course, because we can't really go to restaurants right now. I know uh, they're getting ready to open up restaurants in some states or at least half capacity, but imagine you go to a restaurant. imagine it's a a nice, fancy restaurant you had saved up for this, maybe it 's a special occasion or maybe you just have loads of money and you just go there just just to blow some money i don 't know what it is, but imagine you go to a restaurant and and you're expecting to pay a pretty hefty price for meal for certain items that are on. Um, the menu, and you ask the waiter to bring you a menu, and and you look through the menu, and you find out what you like, what you want, and you say, hey, here is what I want. Here is what I like. So I, I, I'd like it if you know you could bring this to me. That would be awesome. That would be wonderful. But imagine that instead of bringing what you asked for, they decided to gather up all the leftovers from some of the other tables, from some people that hadn't finished their meal, and kind of gave you a smorgasbord of food. Now, I don't think many of us would be too keen on that. I don't think many of us would enjoy that. If, if the waiter, the waitress said, hey, I got your food. Here it is. Now, I did you one better. I, I didn't just bring you your you know, filet mignon. I, I brought you all kinds of other stuff as well. And you're like, wait, hasn't someone already eaten this? Aren't these leftovers from someone else? Now, I don't think that would happen, but let's let's go a little bit further with that. Now, imagine they they do that, and then they bring you the bill. And they expect you to pay the price of a fine course meal that was fresh out of the oven, fresh off the stove. And instead, you got things that were heated up in the microwave. Maybe they even brought some stuff from their kitchen at their house or from their refrigerator. You definitely wouldn't be too happy about that. Again, I I know it's kind of a blown up situation. I don't think that would ever happen, but imagine that. Imagine what your reaction would be if the waiter, if the waitress brought you a bunch of leftovers from their house or from other people's houses or from other tables. And here you go. Here's your meal today. Here's your meal tonight. And now here's your bill. And it's, Just as much, if not more, as a regular meal that you would have paid. You wouldn't be too happy with that. You wouldn't accept that. You would complain. I know some of you would very well complain very much about that. Because you're not going to pay the price because you didn't come to that restaurant for leftovers. Now, here's what I'm trying to get at. Let's get real for just a second. God paid a high price for your life, and he's not interested in your leftovers. He doesn't deserve your leftovers. You see, perspective is everything, is it not? When Jesus Christ came to this earth, when he purchased us, his church, those that have been saved, those that have been redeemed and set free, those that have given their life to Jesus Christ, when he purchased us, when he set us free, when he redeemed us, when he saved us, He purchased us with a high price, and he has left us here on this earth, not as his leftovers, but he has left us here and entrusted us with his kingdom to advance it for his honor, for his glory. It's not about us, but so many people have a completely unbiblical view of what stewardship is all about. You see, stewardship is life. We are called to steward, to properly manage the life that God has given us, and he's not interested with, all right, God, I got a couple leftover minutes. I'll give them to you right now. Well, God, I I got a few bucks in my pocket, so I know it's not really the tithe. I know they need more for impact. I'll give it to you. God, I, I don't really have much time because I've been wasting it on everything else that I wanted to do, but... I guess I'll go and show up at church and when we can show up again. Um, God, I don't have a lot of time and you know I'm only interested in self-service and not serving other people. So I'm just going to serve wherever I want to and wherever I feel like it. That's the leftovers that I'm talking about. But God isn't interested in that. And think about it. You wouldn't be happy in a restaurant if that happened. So how do you think God feels when that's exactly what we do to him? When we... Give him our leftovers. He doesn't deserve it. He deserves far much more. I think those of us that have had money in a bank, we understand this principle as well. You have given your money to the bank so that they can manage it for you. If the bank stole from you, if they embezzled from your account, you wouldn't... Be too pleased with that. You wouldn't just brush it under the table. "Ah, That's no big deal. They probably needed it more than me. It's all good. No. You'd be prosecuting them. You'd be going after them. You'd be trying to get your money back and then some because why? They mismanaged your money. You gave them your money to watch over. Or even think of like a financial advisor. You give money to them to invest into certain uh, properties or projects or stocks or whatever, and if they mismanaged it and they embezzled and they took it from you, you wouldn't be happy about that. So how do you think God feels when, in a sense, we have embezzled the life that he has given us and used it for ourselves instead of using it for him? You see, these illustrations are so spot on. These illustrations show us the point that we have to have the right perspective. And so many of us today have had an unbiblical perspective of what stewardship is about. Because we've lived life like we were in the driver's seat. When God has called us to be in the passenger seat and allow Him to drive and lead us and guide us and direct us where He would have us to go. You know, last week we talked a little bit about money and we said that money matters, and it does. It does. Money matters to God. Money matters to us. And in fact, I think I mentioned this out of the 39 recorded parables that Jesus gives us in the New Testament, 11 deal with money in some form or fashion. And as we close this series, I want us to gain the proper biblical perspective because that's what we try to do this whole series to gain the right perspective. Because when we have the right perspective, it's more than our money. Yes, we will give our money in offerings and ties and mission, to impact, to vision. We will willingly and freely give of what God has given us, and really, there is no extent to our giving. We'll, we'll continue to give, even over and above when we have the right proper biblical perspective. But it goes far deeper than money, because we'll give of our lives. We will willingly. And gladly serve, not with strings attached, as so many of us are good at. I know many people, and I've been guilty of this that that are only good at serving when we want to serve, but then we're good at calling out others that aren't serving. That's not being a good biblical steward. So again, what we're trying to do, and what we've been trying to do, is put this in proper perspective. And as we close this out. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning. Just a few verses as Paul is addressing Timothy and challenging him as a preacher of the gospel. Some things to watch out for. He's trying to warn him and to help him guard against covetousness that is in a lot of ministry people's lives and a lot of religious leaders' lives. A lot of religious leaders in that day were really false preachers, false teachers. They used their religion for financial gain. They thought that the more they did for God, the more should be in their pocket. And Paul was trying to set the stage clear, set the record straight that it's not about that. He's trying to help Timothy understand, and he's trying to help us understand too, that money isn't your source. If it's your source, then you're asking for failure. Failure. You see, God is your source. God should be your source. And what we see in 1 Timothy 6, as well as Philippians 4, where we'll close the message in series this morning a little bit later, is biblical basis of how a steward should live. And Paul gives us the process for achieving great gains in life. And honestly, the formula that he gives us The formula that he gives Timothy is pretty simple. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's go ahead and read. The Bible says, and as I turn to the right page, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to have great gain in your life? Then here's the formula. Here's the key. It's godliness plus contentment equals contentment. Great gain. Let me say that again. It's right here in the verse for you. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. You see, godliness is simply the lifestyle in which one seeks to please God, it's about remaining in the midst of his presence. You can't be fully in the midst of God's presence when you are not acting in a manner that is conducive of a biblical steward. I'm going to come back to the idea of contentment a little bit later today, but the idea here is that godliness, listen to me, godliness must be married to contentment if it has produced great gain. Just expect to have one or the other. Both must be married together if you want great gain. And the, the, the setting the context that Paul is dealing with here is this: Again, he is dealing with false teachers during much of his ministry. And it's no different. in his letter to Timothy, these false teachers, suppose, listen to me, that godliness was the way to financial gain. They use their religion as a means of getting rich, and Paul is warning Timothy of the danger of covetousness. And there's four things quickly that we see, and then the application a little bit later. Is this, first of all, wealth does not bring contentment. Wealth does not bring contentment. Verse number six again, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment means this an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances. Let me read that again. Contentment means this an in inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances. So we've been dealing with some outward circumstances. I know I have at least. Uh, I don't know if you have as well. Is going on right now, this global pandemic, we've kind of been sheltered in place and um, feels like some of our freedoms have been stripped away from us and we can't do some of the things that we're used to doing. And it's a big ordeal. And the circumstances that are surrounding us have caused a lot of people to want to quit. to want to throw in the towel because it seems like nothing is going to get better. But as Paul is dealing with the money aspect of it here, he's saying that wealth does not bring you contentment. I know some of you guys are anxious to get back to work that haven't been able to work, and and I understand the need to work. Don't get me wrong. But there are some people that tie their contentment to the more that they bring in, the more money that they make. If I just make a little bit more money so I can buy a little bit more stuff and have all these boxes in my house of things that I don't really need... If I have this, then this will bring me contentment. But Paul is saying here, hey, that's a danger of covetousness because wealth does not bring contentment. A second thing about wealth is this, verse number seven. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Second thing is this, wealth does not last. Not only does wealth not bring contentment, but wealth does not last. Let me, let me translate this verse if you if you having a hard time understanding what it means. We brought nothing in. When we came into this world, we came in naked with nothing else. And when we leave this world, we're leaving with nothing else. You know, I, I talked about it a little bit last week, but when someone passes away, sometimes the question is asked, what do they leave behind? You know what the answer is? Everything. Because they can't take anything with them. They can't take the money that they made here on this earth. They can't take the treasures that they amassed here on this earth. They can't take it. It's gone. So What quickly is that wealth doesn't bring contentment. Wealth does not last. But the third thing is this. Verse number 8. And having food and raiment let us therewith... Be content. Again, he's hitting on the idea of contentment. We'll tie it all together here in just a minute. But the third thing is this. To avoid this danger of covetousness, we have to understand that our basic needs are easily met. Our basic needs are easily met. So Paul is saying here in 1 Timothy 6, verse 8, he says... And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. What he's saying is some of the most basic needs that we have are food and clothing and shelter. And when we lose some of those things, then we lose the ability to secure other things. Now, this pandemic that we're facing could very well be given to us from God to bring us back to him, to help us learn where our contentment truly lasts and and lies in. It doesn't lie in our wealth. And that's, again, what Paul is trying to encourage young Timothy, a preacher of the gospel, to don't fall into the traps and the endangerment of so many of these other false teachers and preachers of the gospel that we're only concerned if, if the more godly I am, the more financial gain I'll have. And there are some today that are all about that. But it's not about that. It's not that's not going to bring you contentment, especially as a steward. It's not about how much can I make, so how much can I do? It's how much can I make, so how much can I give back to God? How much can I advance his kingdom? But if your basic needs are being met, listen to this, then you can find contentment. And that's where we're going to wrap it all up here in just a a couple minutes, that contentment is what Paul is hitting on. He hits on that in Philippians chapter 4 as he closes out that letter and and he hits on his epistles to the churches because contentment is a huge deal. It's a huge thing. Too many of us are so concerned with wealth, so concerned with money. I need more money. I got to pay the bills. I understand that. We all have to pay the bills. But too many of us are only trying to pad our bank accounts Pat our pockets. Look out for number one. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. No, it's all about God. Too many of us, listen to me. Too many of us know the price of everything and the value of nothing. I think this goes back to one of my past series. And as I've been thinking about this pandemic and everything that's taken place and happened to us, maybe this is God trying to bring us back to Him, trying to help us realize you might know the, the price of everything, but the value of nothing. Let's start valuing our families again. Let's start valuing other people. Let's start valuing the freedoms that we have. Let's live for things that are truly valuable and not temporal. And the fourth thing he says here in this letter to Timothy, verse number 9 and 10, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The fourth thing he says here is the desire for wealth often leads to sin. The desire for wealth often leads to sin. You see, Paul is raising the concept of longing to be rich. Riches don't lead to happiness and success. They are a trap that often leads to bondage instead of freedom. Let me quickly make this point. God isn't condemning people that are rich. God isn't opposed to money. God has given us the power to make money, but God is opposed to the idea that money has become our source of happiness of all things. Money has replaced the true source, which is God. As Paul says here, money isn't evil in and of itself. What is evil? The love, the longing for, the chasing after money. That's what is evil. That's what leads to sin. You know, the condemnation here is a wrongly placed desire for riches. Remember what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, where he said, "...he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver." Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. If you love money, you're not going to be satisfied with money. If you love the abundance, the increase, it's not going to satisfy you. You know, Paul, he is focusing on the love of money being the root of all evil. Again, money itself is not evil. It's the love that is. It's falling in love with money. And what money can obtain, that's the root of much conflict. That's the root of much stress. That's the root of much worry and greed and incessant business and the lack of true contentment. Uh, One of the books that I've been reading uh, in this stewardship series is the book from Tony Evans, which is Kingdom Stewardship. It's been a great resource to me. It's been a great help as I've integrated some of his principles within some of the messages, not Everything that I've preached has been from this book, but there's been some great truths. And one of the points that he makes that really kind of goes with this point that I was just saying is, how do you know if you love money? He kind of gives a little test. He said, one way you can answer that question is if you are making more of it and enjoying it less, or if you're using money in ungodly ways. Another way to know you love money is that you are spending more time complaining Than giving thanks. If your financial life is going up, but your spiritual life is going down, then you have become ensnared by the love and pursuit of money. And I dare say there are probably people within our church that have become ensnared by the love of money. Maybe their financial gain has gone up, maybe not so much during this crisis, but it has gone up, and yet their spiritual life has gone down. A misplaced value in the love of money is revealed when a person prays more for cash than a better character. Or when a person treats people with money better than those without. We know people like that. Oh, they have money. So I'm going to scratch their back so they can scratch my back. But this person has nothing, so forget them. Pretty sure Paul said in Philippians 2:4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's having the mind of Christ. Or when a person treats people with money better than those without it, or when a person robs God to spend on themselves. This series hasn't been about the tithe, hasn't been about our offerings, but that's what it boils down to. There are many Christians, maybe not in this church, but there are many Christians today who are robbing God, because they're spending more on themselves and hardly giving anything to God. It goes back to that idea of leftovers. They're they're giving God their leftovers. Well, oh, I got a couple cents, got a couple bucks here, God, here you go. Here's my leftovers. a complete unbiblical view of stewardship. He closes or not closes, but I want to close with what Tony Evans said in this part. He says as we have seen elsewhere God is not opposed to money. In fact, God himself gives you and I the power to make wealth, but God is opposed when you look to money as your source. And that's what we've been saying. Look, your propensity to make should only grow your desire to give more. Your propensity to make more should only grow your desire to give more. But so often our propensity to make more only grows our desire to get more. A biblical steward says, okay, I've made more. God has blessed me with this. How much more can I give? Here's what I'm saying. We need to learn to maximize our life and the skills that God has given us. But we should never fall in love with what it brings our way. And here's where all this ties together. The key truth about seeking the life of godliness as a steward And what brings great gain is the combination of godliness plus contentment. Again, contentment means an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of the outward circumstances. Listen, church, no matter what is raging around us, no matter if we had to be in our houses for the next year, it doesn't matter because our contentment should not be tied to that. Our contentment should be tied to Jesus Christ. And it shows me That when I am not content with the circumstances around me, it shows me that I have a lack of contentment in my true source, which is Jesus Christ. And I have used other things as the source of my contentment. And that's wrong. And that's foolish. And that's sinful. Godliness with contentment provides the stability on the inside, regardless of the circumstances on the outside. Godliness with contentment provides the stability on the inside, regardless of the circumstances on the outside. And as we close this all out, Paul shows us in Philippians that contentment provided him with the freedom to move within the space of life's many changes because you think of Paul's life, and we've studied Paul's life in depth as as we studied the book of Philippians a couple years ago, as we've been studying the book of Ephesians. Paul's life changed drastically drastically. But all of these things allowed him the freedom to know that even though his circumstances were beyond his control, and his circumstances truly were beyond his control, church. You don't believe that? Just study and read about his life. But he knew that God was still and always will be in control. And as he closes out his letter to the Philippian church, the church at Philippi, in Philippians chapter four, verse number ten, he said, "But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. That's what it boils down to. We must learn wherever we are, whatever state financially, or uh, whether we're abounding or whether we have nothing." whether we're free to roam around the country or whether we're stuck in our home, our contentment doesn't lie in the circumstances. Our contentment must lie in Jesus Christ. Verse number 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. I know how to have a lot and I know how to have nothing. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You know what he's saying? Here's what this all boils down to. Here's this whole series in a nutshell. Contentment teaches us that God is enough in all of life. If you want the biblical perspective of a steward, then you understand that you must learn to be content with who God is, with what God has given you. Now, it shouldn't lead us to complacency. Because some people mix up the idea of contentment with complacency. Well, we're supposed to be content, so I'm content with where I am spiritually. Well, if we are stuck in a, in a pattern, then oftentimes it will lead us to a complacent life. And we will start going downward instead of upward. But content when he had more than enough and when he barely had enough. You see, contentment doesn't matter <laughs> if you get another stimulus check or not. You know, for some of you, that stimulus check that you received was probably spent before it came. You know, I'd much rather abound than to suffer. I'd much rather be full than to be empty. I'd much rather have gas in my car than to get in and have seven miles left to the tank. But Paul is saying here that the Lord is enough in both, in all things. And as a steward, Here's again this whole series. Either Jesus is enough as your owner or he's not. And if you are not being the steward that that he's called you to be, if you are not being faithful with someone else's resources, then what you're saying is that your owner is not enough for you. You know, we can easily fill in this blank here. And we've done it many times before. All I need is blank. All I need is this and things will be better. All I need is to get back to work. All I need is more money in the bank. All I need is more toys. All I need is more possessions. All I need is whatever. Friend, all you need is Jesus. That's it. You see, he is the source of all things, and the perspective of a steward understands that Jesus is, is my owner and my source, which means that my source and my contentment can only be found in him. Did you realize that Jesus has promised to be with us and to take care of us no matter what? No matter if we're going through a pandemic or not? Did you realize that Jesus has promised that he'll never forsake you? But listen closely to me. That promise comes in the context of your contentment. That promise to be with you, to watch over you, comes in the context of your contentment. We understand that by what we read in Philippians chapter 4. You see, our human determination may help us to endure adversity and pain. Our emotional toughness will help us get through a job loss or financial hardships, but only Christ can generate a contented spirit within us, amidst all that is happening around us. Jesus is more than enough. And what Paul is teaching young Timothy and what he's teaching this church at Philippi, is that you can be content no matter what the situation, you're thirsty, whether you're inside or outside. You see, Paul learned that his joy was in his circumstances, because, or it wasn't in his circumstances. His joy was in Christ. And Paul had cultivated a life of Jesus first. He had realized that Jesus was all he needed. If you want great gain as a steward, then you must learn to be like Christ and find contentment to Christ. I close with this story that I've used before. It's a story of Tim Vanderveen from Spring Lake, Michigan. He was a great student at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. He was tall, broad-shouldered, and curly-haired, and had a smile as big as the dawn. In the early 90s, after graduating from college, he took the job at Johnson Controls, scurried up the ladder success, success about as quickly as anyone can, and on a wind-whipped Wind-whipped afternoon of November, Tim called his good friend and former professor, Tim Brown. Professor Brown? Hey, Tim, what's going on? A weak, trembling voice said, I'm not doing so good. Professor Brown said, what's wrong? Tim said, I'm in the hospital in Grand Rapids. I got got the flu or something. My folks are out of the country, and Professor Brown said, hey, I can bring in Grand Rapids later today. Maybe I can stop by and see you. Would that be okay? Yes, I I would like that a lot. By the time Professor Brown got there, the doctors had already been there, and it wasn't the flu, it was leukemia. And that began a three-year arduous battle with leukemia. After three years, Professor Brown visited Tim in the Spectrum Hospital. And as he walked into Tim's room, he saw Tim's mother sitting in the corner crying. Tim was lying on his side. They had positioned his pillows between his skinny little legs. His hair wasn't curly anymore. There wasn't enough energy for him to look at the professor the professor walked into the room and said, hey, hey, Tim, hi, professor. There was a long, awkward pause. Professor Brown had been a pastor for 20 years and still didn't know what to say. Tim broke the silence and he said, hey, I've learned something. Okay, partner, what have you learned? He said, I've learned that life is not like a VCR. The professor said, I, I don't get it. What do you mean? He said, it's not like a VCR because you can't fast forward through the bad parts. After a long pause, the professor thought to himself, wow, where does he get this stuff? Then Tim interrupted him and said, but I have learned that Jesus Christ is in every frame. And right now that's just enough. You see, we think about this pandemic that's going on and we think about maybe our freedoms being taken away from us. Contentment isn't going to be found if you have more money in your bank. And Tentman knows that Jesus Christ is in every frame of your life because he's all you need. So what has God called us to do as a steward? He's called us to be faithful. He's called us to relinquish control. He has called us to realize that what we withhold and what we retain in our hands reveals what's in our heart. A steward will work at protecting and expanding the assets of another on their behalf because it's not about themselves. It's all about the owner. A steward lives a life that is centered around their owner, their master. And if you're a child of God today, then biblical stewardship is what you were created for. And what the whole series boils down to, again, is this, that God is the owner, which makes us the steward. It's all about Him. It's all about living faithfully for Him. But, Pastor, I have been living faithfully for Him. Let's... Truly inspect your life in all areas of your giving, of your worship, of your service, and truly see, truly see if God is the owner of your life or if you haven't tried to usurp that ownership. Here's the core truth. The proper perspective of a steward is found in the contentment of a steward. I've been trying to understand what the proper biblical perspective is about. And it's found in the contentment of a steward. And the contentment of a biblical steward will always be Jesus Christ. You're here today and you're not saved. Today is the day to trust Jesus as your Savior, to call upon Him. If you do that, I encourage you to share it with us. We'd love to rejoice with you. If You're here today and you've been struggling. I'm sure many of you have been struggling with this pandemic and with everything that's going on and not being able to get out, not being able to meet. If you've been struggling even with your contentment and, and the circumstances around you, then you have to understand and have a better perspective that you're a steward still has a job for you to do. But, but I, I can't meet people. I can't get out. The church isn't just the building people. I've been saying that for weeks now. The church is the people. Be the church. Be who God has called you to be. Be faithful. Protect, expand the assets that God has given you. Use them for His glory, for His honor, to promote His kingdom. It's all about Him.